Well, Kilmer, I wanted to jump right back into another episode with you, brother. In our last podcast, you mentioned something about some revolutionary things that have changed the industry, and it got you and I both thinking about how many, how few things have actually changed the industry um, so much. I mean, there's a couple benchmark things, and we're going to talk about them today on this mm-hmm. episode. So, mm-hmm. how you doing, dude? Good. Good. You're feeling? You uh, we got a nice little afternoon here, um, yeah. kind of talking about a couple different things, but we really wanted to talk about this topic of what iconic things have changed the detailing industry and I know the first two things that jump out at you and myself was the dual action long throw polisher Mm -hmm. and the microfiber pad is that correct correct we 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 said that the the long throw with its introduction to the market really kind of changed the game and I know in some of our past episodes you've kind of dropped little nuggets about being at the shows with Kevin Brown and certain little things about the past and why we why do we need this long throw when we got a rotary and a D, you know the porter cable but um, I remember a few years back right about the time I started my business Clint Hintz was with Buff and Shine Pads and oh, Clint Clint was in town Old Clinto was in town for um, a site visit with one of his customers, so I was like, "Hey, Clint, while you're in town, can you and I can you get by the shop and let's do a three-part series on buffing pads?" And and we did. So Clint came by and we did a um, a whole video series on pads. One was microfiber pads, one was wool pads, and the other one was foam pads. And the first one that we did, I think, was microfiber pads. And in the beginning of the video, I said, I believe, and again, this is my opinion. This is, in fact, this is how I see it through my lens. But I believed that the biggest thing to change the detailing industry thus far in my career has been the long throw polisher and the microfiber pad. Would you agree? I would agree. You now, would agree. What came first, microfiber or long throw pad? I already know the answer. It's the microfiber pad was mm-hmm. all right. It's been around for a while, mm-hmm. right? So yes, you're right. So without going into history, because I'm I'm a little vague on it, but <laughs> I was um, privileged to work with McGuire's back in the day. Okay. And. Um, Back in the day, so you mean like when you say back in the day, is this 15 years ago, 20 years ago? Yeah. Probably earlier 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I got the whole backstory from the man himself, not Jason Rose, but Claude. Okay. I'm I'm botching his name. He's uh, French-Canadian, Montreal. Yeah. Yes, I know that that last name. I know what you're trying to say, but... So, so... I had gone up to the room and mm-hmm. I was telling Jason Rose something at SEMA. He was getting ready to prep in, in the classroom because they do okay. classroom at SEMA. Sure. And I said, hey, w- talking about this pad, it was actually a Rupes pad when he was at McGuire's. And I said, their microfiber pad, it looks like this. He's like, there's no way that won't work. Yeah. And so Claude's there, and and Jason goes, Claude, this is, you know, the guy I was telling you about, Jason Kilmer. (laughs) And so uh, James is with me, and we're walking around the hall, 
And we circle back around to McGuire's and Claude's like, hey, come here. And I'm like, okay. He goes, I'm going to be doing a, a, a prepping a car for Pebble. I, I know how to do this, uh, but I haven't done it in a long time. What are some things I need to do and not do in this and this? And so, so I told him my opinion. And I said, hey, will you explain to me kind of the microfiber pad, what your thought process was from the man himself? Sure. How about that? This is cool. I'm already excited. Okay. This is a story I've never heard, actually. He was at the BMW, one, one of the many BMW plants. I don't know. It was in North America. Okay. And he was working with McGuire's as a, I believe, kind of a consultant type type of sure. position. Kind of like hired help, like on his own, yeah, but McGuire's kind of. paid him. Yeah, with McGuire's, but not with McGuire's type thing. Um, kind of a secret service CIA type thing. Sure, sure. And, and he goes, oh, you want to know about the microfiber? I said, I don't know all about it because it, it just it's fascinating to me. He goes, well, it started life out as a wash pad hmm. because they had... At that time, orange foam came from Europe, right? That was a mm -hmm. European invention. Yeah. And they were using it at all these plants, you know, OEM level. So they could sand and polish a defect in nine seconds, yes. I believe. That's about right. That sounds about right, yes. And what would happen is when you would burp, 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 all these yeah. spots, you know, sand them and nib them and then polish them. Right. The orange foam, what does orange foam do when you get too much heat to it? Yeah, it gets soft. It yeah. gets soft and, and, and it boinks out, as me yeah. and Steve yeah. say. So it boinks out. So you, now you lose the cutting performance yeah. and the finish. Sure. So Claude goes back to either his hotel or home. I'm not sure where he was because uh, he's from Canada. And um, <laughs> he took an orange pad. He glued it. To a the fibers pad. to a foam pad went back to plant. Whoa! Hold Wait a phone. second. That was the current day microfiber. So there you go. His prototype was basically just taking that microfiber material and just fastening it to a foam pad. So it's you have yep. now microfiber on the face. Yeah. I mean, and at that at that time it was like thirty years ago. Holy cow. So it's more than 30 years. And then the... Pro, <laughs> we we could have a five-series podcast, and we, we'll get Jason Rose on the podcast sooner or later. Yeah, that'd be cool. To Jason. give us the, the true story. Right. But um, the microfiber pad didn't do so well. Um, longevity purposes, there was a lot of failures. Sure, but there are some problems, but it's yeah. but go on. I'm sorry. But there was no failures within five years of testing. Hmm. Not one single failure. It's really interesting to think about because now it's like while we're talking about this live on the podcast, I'm slowing this down in my mm -hmm. head a little bit and replaying a few things, and I'm trying to really remember hard like the first time I actually put a microfiber polishing pad in my hands, and I, I'm kind of drawing a blank. Like I'm thinking. At a glance, because I remember around those times when we were when we started actually selling McGuire's, that mm -hmm. wasn't until 2009, 2010, and <clears throat> up until that point, McGuire's was kind of the arch nemesis. Not because the product wasn't bad; they were a competition, yeah. and you know we had a lot of uh, 
I don't want to say Meguiar's knockoff products, but a lot of the products we were selling at that time were still built around the Meguiar's formulas or Meguiar's concept yeah. of well, the product. Well, the, the problem back in the day, and I don't know what is current day, <clears throat> but Meguiar's didn't have the highest percentage points, mm-hmm. right? They were more on the low end, mm-hmm. you know. So a lot of companies didn't want to sell Meguiar's because they didn't make a lot of money. By the time... Right third tier process distributing get to you on the truck you have everybody has to make money so by the time you sell it to the end user there's not many points in it no that's what you mean by points yeah there's not Mm -hmm. much profit for Mm -hmm. right and that's why you know when you have something that's kind of proprietary or quote-unquote you know proprietary like you know you can make more money you're right and that's that's why even we were still hesitant to sell McGuire's at that time because, mm-hmm. and I've mentioned that before in previous podcasts, is, you know, it was great, but you really couldn't make any money. And, and additionally to, to not being able to make money, it was hard to stand out because if we showed up on a route truck and we had McGuire's, but two other guys got McGuire's, now we really, you know, the it's a, end yeah, it's user. It's a price war. Yeah. yeah, it's a price war, and they could get it from whoever, right? Because number mm-hmm. six cleaner wax is number six cleaner wax. 85 <laughs> compounds, 85 compounds. Whether I buy it from you, you, or you, it's the yeah. same product. You know, when you have something that's private labeled and exclusive like we had, we now added more value and more profitability <clears> per <throat> item sold, right? Well, uh, that, we were very that's successful. A whole, that, that's know? a whole other podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> No, private really labeling and, and all this, and now it's it's a whole nother level. But I mean, circle back around. That was the idea and invention from the sure. man himself. He told sure. me specifically right outside McGuire's booth. That's super for cool. twenty five minutes. Yeah, that that would be fun in the future to kind of come back <clears throat> and revisit this episode. Or we could probably time. get Claude um, on the podcast too. I would love to have Jason Rose on the podcast, mostly because I got to talk to Jason Rose a few weeks ago on that Saturday when I was at the Creator Summit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh-huh. I, Did he I, know who it, you were? It, it, well, he didn't know. He didn't know who okay. I was until I started talking to him. And then he's like, oh, okay, yeah. And it was cool because I waited. You know, it was busy, and I waited until the end, until they were cleaning up, and I had a moment sure. to kind of just, like, sit where he was – totally focused you know and it it was really really cool we i mean i talked to him for probably 15 minutes and it was my first time ever actually mm-hmm. like talking directly to jason rose and and mm-hmm. you know i i've always said you know everybody out there knows something that you don't and mm-hmm. if you you know i had a specific question for jason rose about their product because i was talking to him about um how um some of the products are hydrophilic where they'll they'll you know uh, off gas Mm-hmm. And they'll create that haze. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jason was educating on me on how sometimes some of the um, the carriers in there will actually pull moisture out of the air and attach it to the paint. So we, we just had a cool conversation. Mm-hmm. And it was, I learned something, you know. Jason is very intelligent on mm-hmm. the back side at the back level. Yeah. Um, where a lot of these salespeople don't have a lot of experience is on the front end. Right. 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 The actual sanding the actual polishing of show cars that's not what they do on a daily basis it's not that they don't know it it's just they haven't been acclimated to it it's like marcus kleiss when he came out yeah uh the class in california he's like i know a lot of the back end stuff and how we get there but i really don't know 
how to do it right mechanically per se. Like mechanically it, actually yeah. do it over and over and over sure. so you know you you have two mindsets mm-hmm. um and you know those are our specialties so it yeah. was it was fun back in the day working with jason rose when i would actually call him and say guess what i did <laughs> what did yeah. you do now right um or right. what didn't you do what what was the problem what worked what didn't work so it was um Back in the day, it's a little bit different now, how companies are and things like that. But back in the day, it was a lot of fun. And well, we sure, both, both learned a lot from each other. A lot, of, almost, a lot of mutual respect. It almost seems like progress in some ways is kind of stalled on a few things because mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, the technology now is so good. Like with the you tools. Know, it's pretty the even keel. Yeah, it's, it's, it's consistent. It's rounded things out. But, you know, how... So, you know, we're going to talk about a few things in this podcast, but specifically the main focus has been this DA polisher and the microfiber pad. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I feel like each part is equally as important. Uh, Maybe the tool is probably more important than the pad, but like in the moment, like those two, how they came together, you know, um, and how the long throw polisher almost drove future engineering of the pads right because at the time when the da came to, out yeah. we only we just basically took the pads we had the rotary pads and put Taller them on a pads. da yeah. and, it, and they failed because of the movement of the machine so just create too much heat at that surface level where yeah. they would actually literally and david patterson is a great example of of designing a pad system yeah uh, along with McGuire's and Buff and Shine and all this, but yeah. you know, David has some insights where I think a lot of people don't realize sure. that, sure. you know, yeah. Sourcing it's, materials, all of it, like, you know what I mean? It, like, it, yeah. It's easy to copy a product or put your own spin on a product, but if you are the pioneer of that product, yeah, there's two things that happen. A, it's going to get knocked off. Yep. Just know that. It's going to yep. get knocked off. Totally. And, and B, they can make it better than your previous machine. Sure. That's sure. easy. Yeah. You come up with a product. as I punch holes in it, right? Yeah. I make it better. Uh-huh. You look at my machine or my pad, you make it better. And it's, it's, the, it's how the cycle works. Sure. It's not just detailing. It's everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right, Jason. It is. It's not just detailing. It's everything. I mean, I I remember, and we've, we've talked about it a little bit before on some previous episodes, but I remember trying to, when that came to the market, and I, I think it's an interesting lesson to the mindset of detailers, right? It's like, we are resistant to change when we when we're it's almost like we're we find something that works and we're so set in our ways and we lay you know sink our heels in the mud and we're like this is how i'm doing it you know and i was one of those guys right like Mm -hmm. now i was asked to take this long throw polisher and a microfiber pad to the end users and sell it and for a guy that was you know found success in sales I have to tell you, when I brought that tool to the market uh, to my customers, nobody wanted anything to do with mm-hmm. it. No one did. <laughs> it was like they didn't have the time of day. Like the the movement of the machine, their arm speeds, they're like, what? Like it, it just it didn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I watched people really, really struggle. 
and I was one of the guys that also struggled using it. It just, it didn't make sense, you know. Well, so, and know. I'll tell Here you how today. that came about too. So, Kevin Brown, Derek Bemis, both pretty good friends of mine, good friends. Um, they were going back again with McGuire's. They were taking care of the cars with the Ford, and mm -hmm. it was in the center hall at the end of the hallway. Okay. Where all the car care, paint, all that stuff is. Sure. Right? Walking by the booth, and Marcos was there, the engineer. Little, little booth, uh, 10 feet, 10 by 10. Right? Awesome. Little banner. Had the machines out on the table. That was it. Kevin stops in his tracks. And Derek is, you know, very time efficient, military type. Right. We got to go. Like, we got, we got all these cars to do at Ford. And, and, and Kevin stops in his tracks and looks over and goes, what is this? Well, the engineer, Marcos, explains and all this. And he goes, that's what we're looking for. So during that course, I don't know if that was on a Wednesday or Thursday or even possibly a Friday morning. But every all the big detailers back in, what was it, 2010? Mm -hmm. um all came over like it was a mob and yeah. kevin i remember barry theo yeah. uh, brought me over he it's when he was at 3d and he goes come here we got we got kevin found something i'm like what are you talking about he found something and i remember talking to kevin you know and he always had this crazy idea and i'm like whatever you know it is what it is you know kevin's really smart too smart for my own good i don't That's quite understand great. it but you know um so I look at this machine and I'm like, eh, okay. Kevin's like, dude, this is what I've been talking about right here. This is going to change it. And so I go back, you know, and then, you know, the machine started coming out the previous year. Uh, the two first distributors were uh, Todd Kupenreiter and Kevin Brown. Yeah. And they started distributing the tools. And you're um, talking about this is the, the LHR 21ES, the... Yeah, this was like two, right? 2011, you know, and yep. I bought mine from Kevin. Uh, I just met Megan, and that was my, uh, that was actually my birthday gift. Dude, that's, it's super cool. Yeah, I didn't, I thought, I know we had brought this up in previous podcasts, and I actually thought that that long throw was introduced to the market in like 2009 and 2010, and you had said, you're like, no, I think it's a little later. I mean, we're, we were right in the wheelhouse, but it was, it was 2011. Yeah, I was yeah. doing a little bit so of research. So the, the microfiber pad system was 2008. Is that, mm -hmm. is that about correct? Yeah, that's that's correct because we had that DA correction system first. For yeah, the we, we, had, me, uh, me and Brian, we were going to start polished image detailing, and this was before that. And he got the system, and I remember we did Bob's, his customer, old Bob. Mm -hmm. Old Bob, his towed truck, first yeah. car. Prime the pad d300 yeah. rub it around the pad whoa yeah. like what did i just see yeah before my eyes right. i finished it there's no dust yeah. we're essentially done mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like boom yeah you know it's crazy how that was you know, i don't know why more people didn't buy it in the beginning especially in the dealers right because it was, like, it was so different it, they did so much testing, and Jason was, you know, I don't know if he, he probably didn't have complete free reign, but they tested that system for five years previous. And had, I was not on the original team, but a lot of people we know that were on the original team, 
there was 30 detailers for two years solid in every part of the country testing and putting their spin on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, it's, I'm having flashbacks of when we had the first, I forget his name. I think his name was Bob. Mm-hmm. It was Bob or Bill. He was the McGuire, the, the national sales manager, or, well, at least for this region. I think it was and, Bill. And he came and, and showed us the, uh, you know, that system. And I, and I remember, I remember, you know, us being like, well, we don't know if we like it, but we also need something new to sell our clients. So let's, you know, we were attracted to it because we wanted to have new part numbers. You know what I mean? Like people always want something new, right? So and do, we felt, do you know, do you know why that system was created? I, if I remember correctly, I thought it was created for the dealers to simplify, <laughs> um, you know, creating the halograms and less damage on cars maybe yeah, maybe yeah. due to, to paint systems changing right yeah mike mike stoops or jason rose told me that they had their dealer uh auction house and they were responsible for something crazy like 325 cars a day holy smokes yeah that's so you know you have someone like that that says hey we need a different system yeah because we have so high a turnover we can't train and we there, there's all these things we can't do, but we need it done. And I think, I think that was kind of between Claude coming up with it at an OEM level and auction, right? From yeah. so, so from beginning to end and everywhere in between. Right. right. McGuire's was able to come up with this this particular system. It'd be super cool to have Jason. Uh, Rose on in the future. Just oh, we'll get him on. I'll text. Uh, I'll text them today. I was just just to compare some of this stuff, like because it'd be it'd be nice to just refine some of how our memory perceives it, right? Like we both lived it, but we all are kind of taking away certain parts of it a little differently than one another. You know, you were coming at it from more of a user standpoint, which is cool, and I was kind of coming at it from more of a sales piece, which you know, both of us found different reasons why it may have been good or bad. You know, well, you know, then I, then I, I remember texting Todd. I said, what do you think about this Rupes thing? He's like, wow, well, <laughs> rotary and, and, and port cable all day long. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I hear you. Same thing. But well, it, again, it, it's understanding something that's new. It's like long throw GS is like EV, right? right. Mm-hmm. It's all, you don't know until you really get into it, but it takes people that think outside the box right right to really hone in on a product sure from individual perspective you know getting a parameter and saying well we're gonna just take it away outside and see what it's capable of what's not capable of sure you don't know until you don't until you know or you don't know right well Well, that didn't work yeah yeah, you just got to kind of get with it and go and just see what happens. And then we'll look at what look at where we are now because of that. If you look at where the mm-hmm. industry's at and what we mm-hmm. what we've accomplished now, it's like if we what would we what would we do if we just kind of remove the DA and the microfiber pad from the industry now? Exactly. <laughs> like just can't have exactly. it anymore. We'd be like, "Oh my god, no." Like <laughs> and I I'd, I'd be one of those guys. Like Yeah, so would I mean, we all. Microfiber long throw microfiber long chicken or egg what's more important i already have the answer i have my answer and i'll tell you why um i think it's the machine 
Okay, I think opposite. Do you? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, because and the only it's... reason I was saying machine is because mm-hmm. I think we could manipulate certain other pads mm-hmm. to maybe not equally perform like a microfiber pad, but we can manipulate other pads to still get the job done. Okay, and I say pad because I can go a short throw pad or a short throw machine, mm-hmm. even a rotor if I have to, even though it's not recommended. Yeah. Any tool and still come up with great cutting results and decent finishing. Sure. It's like a tire on a car. Mm-hmm. R- Suspension is very important. Motor yes. is all important, all yes. that. But the only thing that touches the road is the tire. Right. And the pad being the tire. No, it's a good point. And I, you know, and I, I don't think, you know, you definitely caught me off guard when he's asking that question, which is good, right? Mm-hmm. I like being caught off guard like that because it makes me think. Like it I, makes you think, yeah. I need to think about that a little bit more, you know, because... Um, I just wonder, right, if you look at the movement of these tools as they've kind of evolved. And actually, to touch on something, I didn't know I was doing some research on this, and I, I didn't know that um, Rupes came out with, uh, which is, the, they called it the LHR 150, or 150, and it was actually uh, a 10-millimeter orbital, mm. which was to compete with the porter cable of its time. And I never mm. even, I've never really? seen that tool. Yeah, I'll have to send you the information on it because I was kind of going through the Rupes timeline. And they showed that, and that tool actually came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. So it was it was before, you know, wow. it was kind of in between the, you know, before the revolutionary long throw came out. It was right before that, and I've never seen one of those. I've never seen one of those machines, right? Because no, neither have I. If I remember, the Porter cable's eight millimeter throw. Yes. Rupes was saying that the LHR 150 is a 10 millimeter DA. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and now I think we know it as like the Duetto, which I think the Duetto is like a 12 millimeter. It's a 12, yeah, I yeah. believe so. Yeah. But it's it's interesting, you know. I still think that we're going to see developments and tools, right? And like you said, people knock it off. You know, Rupes came out with it, and then you've seen all these other China companies try to compete and bring other tools to the market. And not that you know that's that's necessarily bad. I guess it's kept more of a maybe not an even playing field but it's uh competition is not necessarily bad right it no puts, I, I, it I don't think innovation. It, well see because i have an outstanding good relationship with the, with griots too when griots came out with their tool uh-huh. you know uh-huh. Uh-huh. current day rup has at that time the griots was a better tool Sure. Had more power. Yeah. Yeah. And back then I was more um, interested in the power and the rotation. Totally. Still am. Still am. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. But so so at that point, to me, the Griot's tool was better mm-hmm. at that point. I'm not talking longevity. I'm not talking 10 hours in the machine. I'm talking here and now, get the job in, get the job done, get the job out. But it took Rupes in their engineering and their thought process to come up with the tool. Sure. Someone has to create first. Right, Someone right. can then knock it off, put their own spin on it, no pun intended, and then here we go, da 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 da. That's totally. that that's the that's how things work. That's how sure. products are made and make you know, companies succeed or don't succeed or fail 
right because of exactly what we're talking about sure sure no i i mean i remember um i remember when when uh when i first got that tool in my hand kilmer and i really got to play around with it and i actually did my neighbor's truck for the very first time because i was and i've mentioned this before i was i i had that same issue that um that these other guys were having with these production shops like i could it was a battle that i couldn't really win and it was the complaints from the technicians and complaints from the upper management that the cards didn't look good Mm -hmm. and we still have that problem you know what i mean like here we are still it's like we have all this this technology we have all this information and we have all these tools but these wholesale shops still don't take advantage of of it i don't don't understand they're i was fortunate i had i was able to talk to the source the direct source sure that changes so, the landscape a little bit. So with my thought process from a technician standpoint at the highest level, doing Riddler cars, right, um, and doing all these other things, I would come from my standpoint, and then Jason would come from his standpoint, Kevin Brown would come from his standpoint. Three different standpoints. We all respect each other, still respect each other for what we've done um, as individuals, and it's a, it's a combined effort. It is. Yeah, it is. And, and that's, I think it's super cool when you go back and you tell those stories about, you know, kind of being somewhat like behind the scenes, at least in conversations with what was going on at that time. Like, you know, in that moment, you never knew how impactful what was coming, right? You're just like, you're just in it. Like, and now here we are because, you know, we were saying what other things have changed the industry since then? I mean, I, you know, the microfiber and the long throw, like, the long throw polisher and the microfiber have this synergy to them that now, you know, that almost anybody that's never picked up a tool in their life, you can give them a respectable tool, a respectable pad, and a respectable liquid, and they're in the shop correcting paint, getting good results, you mm-hmm. know? And that's mm-hmm. pretty cool, you know? Yeah. Whereas, bef- you know, the times before that, there was a higher level of skill that was required. And I think that maybe now, you know, through just time here we are finding ourselves where a lot of people kind of got integrated into this industry with only the you know the da polisher and have no history with the rotary and so they're almost learning it backwards than we did yeah i i i think it's it's kind of cool yeah it is but i i think there's going to be a reset because of there's it's fairly easy to get into Mm -hmm. low cost of entry but I think there's going to be a reset. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what uh, procs or tools are going to be part of that reset or taken out of the reset, but yeah. I, I think there's going to be a reset sooner yeah. than later. I well, don't you think know, it, it subs- can't sustain forever. You know, it's interesting. When we were doing training the um, this uh, couple weeks ago, we were doing the training with the students. We were doing some heat control techniques, and... I was using the DA versus the mm-hmm. rotary, and I had, I forget exactly how we did this, but I, I had the test hood, and we had the rotary on one side, and we had the DA on the other, and we were kind of doing some heat control techniques, and we ran, I think, the DA for 10 to 15 seconds versus the rotary. We kind of left them with a tool weight pressure, so we're kind of not putting enough down for us just to maintain the tool's consistency so it wasn't chattering mm-hmm. and hobbling around and you 
test the heat afterwards, and, and the DA's got a lot more heat uh, mm -hmm. on it than the rotary, you know, in that format. Now there's mm -hmm. other variables that contribute to it, but that's one of the things I still like about using the rotary is heat control. You know, yeah. you can really pull that thing back and still have some correction action where you're not generating a lot of heat, whereas on the, you know, on the DA, you know, when you pick that thing up and start floating it, you know, you're not getting the equivalent type of correction that the rotary would generate. So it's just, it's just interesting, those little nuances like that. And I don't disagree with you. I think that, you know, there's, everything has its place and it has its purpose. And that's, well, in training, we call it putting it all together, right? Mm -hmm. When are you going to use this tool? When are you going to use that tool? And I think that's one of the things that leads us to possibly being more efficient than some other people. Like imagine if you only have one tool or two tools and you're trying to get this job done. Well, you could do it, but it's going to take you longer because you're trying to use a tool that maybe doesn't work as efficiently in that spot. Okay, no. so I'm going to put you on the spot. All right, here we go. Uh-oh. Put my seatbelt on. One tool. We've cut, talked about cut, that cut, finish. I want everything. The whole kit and caboodle from start to finish. If you had a tool at Roadster Shop, one tool, mm. not one pad, not one liquid. What would it be? Go. Oh man, if it's the Roadster Shop, Kilmer, dude, you really put me on the spot. It's black. Time. It's a. It's it's Brent's black Chevelle. Okay, I'm going to maybe regret saying this, but maybe I won't regret <laughs> saying it. I'm going to pick the rotary. Mm -hmm. Me too. I'm going to pick the rotary, and I know it's going to take me a little longer to finish, but I also know that I could, in that arena, there's more of a use for the rotary mm -hmm. than, than the DA. I know in a past, like year, years ago in a Coffee with Kilmer episode, someone asked us that question, mm -hmm. and you and I both I, said, I remember. Yeah. You and I both said the Rupes 15 millimeter mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. if i like if i had to choose between the two it'd be those two a rotary and the roof s15 but if i could only do one i'd rather do the rotary because... no so so this car from roadster shop has been sanded not polished not mm -hmm. compounded so what mm -hmm. tool you'd still think the rotary um idea no, is gonna I, take I, too long i don't fresh know. paint okay fresh fresh paint. Paint. yeah rotary yeah rotary see yeah. Yeah, rotary. Need to, all day still, long. Need the, still need the rotary for that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, who knows what type of, what we're going to start to see with paint systems in the coming years? I think it's going to be. Well, we've been you talking know, about it more and more about paint systems changing, and there being less and less clear on these cars. Well, um, and, and it's finicky. I just had someone ask me, Joe from Dutch Boys up in mm -hmm. Michigan. Um, mm -hmm. He asked about the Rupes class, and he asked about Gloucester University. He's like. Are you still finishing with uh, Bigfoot? I said, no. I finished with the rotary now. I, I went back. He goes, well, why? This was over the weekend. I said, well, because clears are finicky. Yeah. More finicky right now than they were in the past. Mm -hmm. And those fresh clears, like Brent Chevelle, if you remember correctly, which I do, did not really like the DA. No. But we did not have time to right. spend right. finessing it with the rotary. Right. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is the time commitment that kind of mm -hmm. goes with that. And I had this thought the other day that I, it's been a long time. Like, it, it, 
Last year, I got a really temperament Camaro that had, had a part of it had been resprayed, and there was some really sensitive clear, and it was like door and quarter panel or something like that. <laughs> and I got the DA, and the second the DA hit it, it just hazed Did paint. not like it. Just, it, it, yeah. it just didn't like it. And so I had to pick up the rotary, black pad, slow speed, real nice, like real finesse. And it's, it had been a while. And I, I actually was, during training, I was talking to a student about that, pulled up some pictures, and it was in that moment that I realized, I was like, holy smokes, like, it's been a while since I've actually practiced finishing with the rotary, and that's something I want to do over the next couple months, is just taking some time to kind of revisit that skill set and, and kind of understand it once more. Because here's a situation that I've been in for a long, long time, like, all right, look, I, it's it's either in my shop right now it, where it's two things. I'm either doing heavy correction work where something's just completely, a, a, you know, obliviated, and I got to beat up the paint. And I'm going to go to my rotary first, uh, and then I'm going to move on to my DA. So that's one scenario. The other scenario is I got something that's pretty new and nice, and it doesn't need a ton of work, but I still need to polish the paint or enhance it, maybe a little factory dieback. Um long throw DA and a microfiber pad all day long. Boom. So I'm, I'm not in that paint world uh, as much. I mean, I'm in, in it more now. And fortunately, a lot of the builds and the sanding stuff that we've done are clears that have actually had a year or more to kind of set up and flash off all the gases and stuff. So, you know, if yeah, but if you're in the collision world, I, I, I mean, I know here I don't know, but I can imagine how stressful that might be. Right, you got to try, especially in a collision shop that's doing insurance work. You're trying to get this thing out the door. Time is money. These guys paint it, and then later that afternoon they're buffing it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and like I think that's tough even for anybody, you know, at any skill set. So you try to, you know, cram a detailer that has no experience doing that stuff. That's that's tough. You know what I mean? Oh, we, me, me and David, up, right? Yeah, you when, up. We, when we went to Colton's um, shop the first time, go around. The clear was shot at one or two in the morning, and we were buffing and sanding by eight in the morning. Eight yeah. in the morning. For a couple hours, yeah. yeah it did hours. not like the DA one bit. We don't. Me and Dave were like, oh, we knew, but we're like, let's just try. It. Let's just show these students sure. what it does, what yeah, doesn't what it do. does. Yeah, yeah. And it did not like that movement one bit. Whether it was eight mil or because we brought all the tools, all the Rupert's sure. tools, sure. it didn't matter what DA version we used. It didn't like any of it. Right, Ooh. right, right. No, you're 100 percent right. I feel like, you know, I <laughs> now that I said that, I almost gave myself a little anxiety, like thinking about, like, you know, I should go to the body shop and have my friends over there paint me a freshy panel. <laughs> freshy. Like, I'm going to take it home and practice, you know, sanding yeah. and buffing on that stuff because I do want to go back. And You could probably that. use that Nova hood that you have. It's 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 cheap clear, so I'm sure it's pretty still finicky. And it's almost ready to be painted. We use that for mm-hmm. testing, and mm-hmm. um, we use the other uh, SRT hood, the aluminum hood, for testing. Yeah. Yeah. And a funny thing, you, you know on that SRT hood where I sanded with 600 and the paint got real thin? Mm-hmm. We tried using that to burn through the paint. I got to tell you, like we had two of us working on it Mm -hmm. the paint it it we still didn't blow through like Mm -hmm. we were heating it up david got it to the point the one time it was smoking Mm -hmm. like he was trying to buff a rotary with the foam patch right on the ridge and and he got it hot but actually never like burnt 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 all the way through 
And I, I don't know if it's the way that aluminum hood moves the heat, but like we were, we were trying to really get that thing to burn, to go through. And uh, I guess there's a little bit more paint on that, on that hood than we originally I mean, thought. And they that's told the me. Way, that's the way it always is. When you, when you want to burn and you want to make a mistake, you can't. And when you don't want to, that's when you make a mistake. Yeah. No, I, I do need to get those things resprayed, but that'll be, that'll be later in this year before, uh, before I get that done. But so we don't drift too far off topic like okay you and i have identified or what we believe are the like the other bit the two biggest things that have changed the industry the long throw you know polisher and the microfiber pad but um i mean i keep one i know in the back of my head i'm thinking this other thing but what else do you think has changed the industry i mean abrasive technology and that's that's like a whole nother podcast i don't i mean i guess we could talk a little bit about a little bit of that because that's in the same timeline or right around that time that's when mcguire's was introducing the uh that 105 205 stuff or did or was 205 around longer than 105 kilmer uh no they, they were kind of they, 105 they was together. first but they came out with a smat what they call the smat technology right which is yeah. smart super, uh, super micro brace of uh, I'm not going to go into the technology of it because I have no idea. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a precursor to that, um, to that that product. It was reconditioning cream. Was it reconditioning cream? You remember the pink stuff? Are you that was supposed about... to be SMAT technology or no? It was no. not reconditioning cream. I'm sorry. I apologize. It was um, it was called Solo. You remember Solo? I do remember. It was one proc, and that, I believe, someone correct me if I'm wrong, and if we get Jason Rose on the podcast, he can definitely tell us, but I believe Solo was the first non-diminishing abrasive technology. I I remember, I remember that, uh, I'm trying to remember the part. was, Was it M86? Yeah, that's right. You're right. M8601. That's it. We never, and that was right around, oh, I remember there was one of the guys that worked at our accurate dealership. His name was Dave. He loved that product. And I was selling him a bunch of other stuff. And it, and this was before we had Meguiar's. And eventually when we took on Meguiar's, I started selling him that stuff. But I completely forgot about that until <laughs> you just brought that up. Yeah, that's it. Good memory, Kilmer. Part, the 86 that was it mm-hmm. yeah so the abrasives that are now in these products are totally different than what came in the days before I oh mean, yeah I, a, a compound can go from a 10 or a 12 or whatever you want to put a number on it and if you know what you're doing and what tools and what pads to use and, and technique you can bring that quote compound down to almost finishing if not finishing yeah yeah well and so when paired with all you know the 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 kind of the holy grail right you got Mm -hmm. your the movement of your 21 tool you got your nice new microfiber pad and you got this micro abrasive technology that i I think at least for me kind of in those days when that stuff came out one of the things i really appreciated about that technology was um was the working time like, I don't know if, if it was Solo had the same lubrication package, but I remember at least, like, you know, when I started compounding out scratches with the older technology with a rotary and a wool pad, 
you know, those compounds that we used in those days, they didn't really have a long working time. You know, no. you start getting those things hot. And I mean, I remember when I, when the guys that taught me how to do it in the body shop back in the day, you know, they always next to them all the time was a bottle of water because mm -hmm. they were heating up the paint and they needed to kind of wake up the abrasives and they'd, you know, keep spraying the paint down with, with water. And that was what we did to extend the working time. So I remember initially, like when I first got going with those, um, the, the working time, you know, I was able to cycle the product for a little bit longer. And I thought that mm -hmm. was cool with the except, uh, exception of Meguiar's 105. I felt like when we, when I first, I loved the performance of 105, but in those times I was used to taking big bites with the rotary, right. And making maybe, you know, a four, like a three by three pass. So when you try to take that same technology or the same approach with mm -hmm. the 105 and the microfiber system, it, if you spread it out too much uh, and introduce too much heat, it would just seem to like lock up onto the paint. Well, plus it would dust too. It would it dust. Would go, it would go, yeah. poof. Yeah. It would be a dust cloud before you know it. Well, here, I can tell you this. This is what I do remember. I remember, <laughs> I do remember we used to sell, you know, uh, heavy, medium, fine cut. And there was a <laughs> lot of body <laughs> shops and there was a lot of places that I sold all three of them to. Right. Yeah. They would buy the heavy, they'd buy the medium and they'd buy the fine mm -hmm. and they'd use it for, you know, they'd use all of them in various places. Mm -hmm. When McGuire's came out with 105, I kind of lost a lot of that. You know, those those shops were like, hey, mm -hmm. this is heavy and we can kind of work it out and change our pads. And it's also like a fine compound. So mm -hmm. that's what I do remember, kind of how that that abrasive technology kind of replaced three products in a mm -hmm. way. You know, I mean, there's still situations where guys are using the older technology compounds, I think more in the marine application, right? When you got heavy fate where they're not sanding off and they're still, you know, they have, they need something that's got some <laughs> real serious coarse abrasive and you see that stuff. But I think with the clear coats changing that abrasive, you're right. We definitely have to do a podcast with David Patterson about the abrasive because he's, he seems, to, we were talking about that in training a little bit and he's a little bit more. I think up to speed on some of the newer stuff with his quest and, you know, building buffing pads and mm -hmm. also engineering his old Burke cut, uh, and, and soul. So he's a little bit more up to speed on the, the modernization of these abrasives, but it's, it's super cool to think about, right? Like, yeah. and how lucky we are, especially the younger generation that's kind of coming into the industry now, um, and how it has, the technology's changed and so much for the better, you know? But through all this stuff, Kilmer, we still have all this confusion, right? Well, we, we didn't mention the most important part. What's more important than a pad or a machine or a, a liquid? The technician. I mean... Mm. Lighting. If you can't oh. see it, you can't fix it. Well, that's... Kilmer, <laughs> that's like... you. I mean, gosh, I could go off the deep end now and, and <laughs> never come back. We start talking about lighting, but... Holy cow, yeah, you're not kidding. I mean, if lighting, you can't see it, right. you can't fix it. I don't care right. what machine, what tool, how good you are, how bad you are, you can't see it, you can't fix it. Yeah, the lighting portion of it, and I I question sometimes, you know, how some of these guys, the mobile guys do it out in the oh, field. Oh, they're not. Where they're, they're not. Where, where you, don't, you know, you they're have not. all this just over, where you're over flooding Overcast, the panel with light. Yeah. Different and, light setups, yeah. And it's really hard to see those defects, 
And you, can, and I, you can't see them. If you're not seeing them with a light, you're not seeing them. I don't care who you are, how good you are, how long you've done this. You can't. If you can't see it correctly yeah. with the correct light, you can't fix it. No, that's a really good point, Chase. You can get lucky from experience, yeah. but you can't. You can't 100% say, yeah, it's out. Well, I also think that that plays a huge role. Like, I'm really glad you brought that up because you're right. Lighting is, like, one of the most crucial parts because if you did here, like you just said, if you had the right tool, the right patio, all the stuff, and the, uh, the techniques down, if you can't sight the scratch or the problem, you're just kind of almost buffing in the blind, right? You're buffing in the blind. That's and that that's that's like a whole whole nother set of problems. But I I think that that's probably why a lot of shops, right? I mean, I've I've noticed myself trying to be a bit more empathetic or empathetic uh, when I see people that have done bad work. Like I'm trying, like in the moment I get angry, I'm like, man, these people stink. They don't know what they're doing, <laughs> right? But then I'm like, you know, they probably were either under a time constraint. They didn't have the right tools. They didn't have the right lighting. They didn't have the right training, or all of the above. You know what I mean? And especially like with collision work. I mean, the type of the type of stuff that I've seen come from the collision shops these days is just like completely out of hand. Like, well, like, you you can have no time. Mm -hmm. You can have no tools. You can have no pads. You can have the wrong everything wrong. But if you can't see it, you don't even have a chance. Right. You're 100% right. Yeah. I mean, it's... at least if I can see the scratches and know that we have a problem, we have a problem. But if I don't see it, I don't see it. Yeah. I can't yeah. even attempt to fix it. At least if I know it's a problem, it's a problem. Whether I can have the time or the tools to fix it or the know how to fix it, mm -hmm. I can fix it. But if I don't, if I can't see it, no matter how good the tools are, no matter how good you are, no matter how good I am, mm -hmm. we're going to miss stuff. You know, I'm kind of, it's a, I'm almost like, not upset, but almost like imagining like what if, if we were to go back in time and I were to go back into my sales world, if I, if I knew then what I know now, I would have tried to integrate more lighting situations because I really feel like that was the, the culprit of a lot of fail points for mm -hmm. the wholesale detailing, right? And it's like, hey, these guys, a lot of my old clients were good detailers. They were good people. They were using good products and they had good tools. But the one thing they did, didn't did have uh, was good lighting. You know? Well, you know, and the, the can light LED came from a friend, John Morgan. He's the guy that figured that out. Well, those things, I mean, they're... And that that changed how you do things too. I mean, when, when we got you set up and showed you the light, you're like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, I, I took the wow. horse and ran, and I wanted, to start a whole, I, I wanted to start a whole lighting line around that and was serious. But the guy that I wanted to have me build, you know, build me the stuff, this was right when the pandemic started. He, and mm -hmm. the cost of metals went up, and he was behind, and it was just like it was kind of a daunting project. And then I was like, yeah. like you said, if I, if I were to create this thing, someone's going to knock it off and steal mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just said, you know what? I'm not going to go down that road yet. Who knows? Someone if, will. You know, in if the they already haven't, yeah. Yeah, well, because the problem is, is, you know, really and truly, if I made a light and I created that whole thing, in order for me to be profitable, I'd have to sell it at a high number. 
you know, when really you can order the can lights and you can get all the stuff online, you know. And for less for, than 100 bucks a setup. Yeah, I mean, I think my setups, you know, that's changed. It used to be less than 100 bucks a setup, but with the inflation and things kind of going up, those par can, the just the cans themselves now, I think, are They've between doubled. 40. Yeah, yeah, they're doubled, right? Yeah. And so I think I think the new setups, like if you were to if you were to buy the stand and the cans and the lights and then the little adapters that you might need for extension, you're around maybe 280 bucks to 300 bucks for um, a six you know a six light a six can setup. But they're super efficient, you know. Yeah. You're right. That that LED technology in those cans that's that's another thing that has totally changed the industry. And you're right, Jason. It's changed my workflow um drastically because before that i had one scan grip you know or two of them <laughs> and like. that, that's just not effective and efficient no and First i still of all, it's effective for a very small area but yes. you know when you're doing a whole side of a car you know you'd ideally have at least one here one here and one in the middle yep. that way you have no blind spots that yep. way you just grab and go so with this way we polish cars of not stopping you don't have to stop. There's no shadows. There's no guesswork. You have a scratch. Yeah. Get it out. Move yeah. on. That's a great point. So I would say lighting is most important. It really is. I'm glad you put me in my place there for a second. You're like, what is it? And I was like, it's the technician. He's <laughs> he's got to know what he's doing. Well, I mean, you have to know what you're doing, and it does help. But um, that's a big problem. And I said that to you. I remember if we were to go back in time, and I gave my clients a new tool or a new product and a new pad if they use it in their envi environment with poor lighting they don't know what the product's doing or not doing because they mm -hmm. just can't see that's mm -hmm. not their fault it's mm -hmm. just you don't have the right lighting so mm -hmm. that's definitely totally changed the industry and and as we get close to kind of uh the end of this podcast i also think the other thing that's changed the industry like completely is ceramic coatings Kilmer. like you know i mean if you were to go back 15 years ago and you were to say that some of these guys you know some detailers could earn over a hundred thousand dollars a year detailing cars you'd, you'd people would laugh at you you'd be like yeah there's no oh, way for sure you know what way, i mean and, way easier to make the higher ticket number and um, so we're not going to go with the performance or anything like that just draft just numbers in general yeah yeah i mean it's really crazy to think about, and I think that that's maybe where some of <clears throat> this confusion has has come into the into the world of detailing is these durability claims and this person and that product and this and that. So, you know, I, th I think overall, you know, there's been some kind of revolutionary things that have changed the industry, or some benchmarks, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, I'd be curious to see what's next. I mean, I I don't know. At this point, what other things we're gonna see in as far as tools and equipment kind of emerge over the next decade? I'm sure there'll be some cool stuff here and there, but yeah, you know, with it's, the, it seems like it's slowing down a little bit, right? Like yeah, you, with these with, companies, with the inflation, times, the cost, the pandemic, that kind of slow down or stop the rate of um, ingenuity. Progress. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. It seems to be, and I, I mean, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, this is through our lens. We could be completely wrong, but like, you know, you look at companies like Meguiar's, you know, like they've been kind of silent lately. You don't really see 
McGuire's working. Maybe they are working on something new behind closed doors, but if they are, they're, they haven't been talking about it openly, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't really know what's next. I mean, I think it's a, it's a great time to be in this industry. It's also a really challenging time to be in this industry. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, since the pandemic, there's been a lot of people that have lost their jobs. Like everybody wants to be a detailer now, which again, isn't bad, but where are you getting your information from? You know, and are, um, you know, are you doing your homework on all those things that go into building a business and starting a business and stay, you know, the service work, the service offerings? I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really complex. I guess that's probably another thing that's changed the industry too, Kilmer, has been like the, um, what do they call those things? The, the software systems that you use for mm -hmm. um, your CRMs for running yeah. your, your yeah. business. You know what like I mean? Like you're able and the other systems. Like yeah. That. I mean, I think because that's a, that's another big thing that, that, a lot of detailers tend to struggle with is, you know, the operation sides of things. You know, a lot of detailers are great technicians, but then some of them struggle to, to do the, the other side of things. I mean, me being one of them, like I get it done, but I don't want to say that that's easy for me. No, you know? it's like, you know, building websites and, you know, you have Chris at um, a detail roadmap that can build you a uh, turnkey website and, and you're able and, and some of these other systems in place um, yes. helps on the business side of stuff, not, it does. Not, the tech, not the tech side of stuff. Right. Well, when we, these CRMs have helped, you know, if almost created for, if, if implemented properly, mm -hmm. they've created some form of automation for mm -hmm. working sure. right like okay i have a database now i can enter so-and-so's information i can put the year make model of their car we did it on this date you know what i mean and you could automate a lot of these things to help kind of send reminders you know what i mean mm -hmm. and, and communicate with the customer without you having to communicate you know yep. so it's cool to see how those things have helped some people i mean my business is it's a micro business it's not even mm -hmm. small business you know last year in 2022, I touched a little over 100 cars. I think this year, I'll probably touch even fewer. I mean, I'm, I'm busier than I was last year, but they're bigger projects. Higher ticket numbers, yeah. Higher ticket numbers. And so, I mean, that was, that was my goal all along when I started, you know, Matthew Specialized Detailing. So it's, it's interesting to kind of, you know, Kilmer, doesn't it seem like time is just, I mean, the last 10 years has blown right by. I mean, mm -hmm. here we are. That, that Rupes 21ES was first launched in 2011, and that was over mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And it still seems like it was just really not that long ago, you know? No, it wasn't. I mean, it, for, for how far we've come in the industry and, and for some of these tools, it'll be really cool to see kind of what's, what's, what's next. I don't, I don't know. Like, now you got me thinking. I'm I, like, I honestly don't know either. While I'm saying this out, li out loud live on the podcast, I'm kind of like, whoa, like... I want to sit down and like deep think like what what's missing like what what are we still kind of falling short from because dude there's never been a better time all these cool tools and gadgets and gizmos we get to use when we I, I would say probably more into the battery powered you know the EV thing with cars and all that battery technology I think more battery that's a good point stuff. yeah yeah that's a really good point I mean I'm yeah. I would. I, do you think Rupes is working on something behind the scenes with their? Oh, I guarantee you, everybody is. It's battery technology, you know. Oh, and, I... and when Milwaukee sent me their tools, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not a battery-powered guy. Mm-hmm. But mm -hmm. when they sent me those 
prototypes and I mm -hmm. use them and I, and I still use them quite frequently. Man, it's nice not to have a cord. Oh, for sure. I completely agree with you. I mean, I started, you know, more and more, uh, you know, when I was working on that boat, I had the corded and cordless tools and it was nice to get in there and not have the cords. So I, I kind of see myself, you know, introducing a few more corded, uh, you know, battery powered tools over the years. Just because the, when you're integrated and you and you set it in your arsenal, it's nice to not have the cord. I mean, holy smokes. I mean, especially. Well, you can literally be remote. You know, yeah. we when when we did me and James did Brent Chevelle in Spokane, mm -hmm. I used Milwaukee. Yeah. And then I had a, a Bauer um, light that mm -hmm. was battery powered. There yep. was no extension cords involved. Yep. yep. It was yeah. a quickie, couple hour deal. We were out, but you know, extension cords. You know, guys in the trades. You know, construction. They've been cordless for many, 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 many years. Sure. You know. Sure. Um, sure. You know, now I'm can't wait till we see Bluetooth lighting. You know, where yeah. you know those lights are. You know, I'm sure the technology is there. But it is there. Yeah, not to have cords on our lights. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 super cool. I mean, I I don't know I don't know what's next for the industry, but if you guys are listening to this podcast and you think that there's uh, something that you guys have seen or something that you guys have been thinking about, it'd be cool to hear your guys' thoughts and you know some feedback on what you see next because you know there's still some places around the world that don't even know what ceramic coating is, and you know what I mean, like how far behind, like how far we've come. And I think this might be kind of a good place to kind of to end or get close to ending is like how far we've come with technology and and out of all that out of all that technology that's out there how few people actually utilize its abilities you know what I mean or or, or overextended and try to use it for what it's not to be used for that's yet. a good point too Jason that's a really good point in fact it's like you know and and thinking about that like you know the car care world in a lot of ways has got some catching up to do i think it's still manual labor no matter how you put it it's not automated and it never will be in our yeah lifetime yeah no it's a really really good point so really it's still a manual labor mentality and with a manual labor mentality or way of working there's only so much you can do. You're 100% right. Yeah. It's not IT and never will be because it actually takes physical labor to get it mm -hmm. done. I love it. So <clears throat> I, think, I think our next podcast or soon we need to dive into, I know I said we weren't going to talk too much about it, but we touched on the abrasive piece. And I think that would be a really fun thing to, to bring on a guest and talk a little bit more about those abrasives i mean you know kind of uh, and some consistencies or inconsistencies versus products and sandpaper and pads and stuff like that because that's that's a whole that's a whole nother thing to really wrap your head around and understand mm -hmm. so it makes sense you know what i mean and uh I'd, I'd like to go down that road here soon so um i don't know kilmer before we sign off for this podcast any any final words any send off anything i think no. this was cool i'm like I, I I have to find that episode where that there was an early YouTube episode that I made with Clint with the uh, with the pads in my intro. I want to see if I can find that and yeah. and, and put that here on the on the podcast because 
That's what I said. And I think that was that was right before I met you. I think when yeah, I was making was. those YouTube videos, I think I met you what it was in Feb like the tail end of February of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Clint was in town like January or February that year. So it was like literally we were making those YouTube videos like within like weeks of you and I yeah. connecting for the first time. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. It's like super cool. Time is flying, Kilmer, right? Mm-hmm. Can you believe it's Just like the airplane ahead of me. Did you hear that? I did. Yeah, I, I heard that in the background. I was like, wait, is that because I'm right by O'Hara. I was like, is that me? No, that's a helicopter uh, military. They do oh. exercises just over over the hill. I've, that's the first time I've actually ever heard that actually happen, like live. It's on actually not over the hill. It's actually over Mount Rainier, which is bigger than a hill. You haven't seen yet, but you will sooner than later. Sooner than How later. How big it ever. actually really is. Well, I can't wait to get out and see you. And um, I really just wanted to say thank you, everybody, for listening to the Driven by Details podcast today. If you guys have any comments or um, anything you'd like to mention, leave them in the section below. Um, shoot Jason or myself a message. And I guess we'll see everybody on the next episode. What All do you right. say, Jay? Sounds good. All right, Great brother. episode. All right. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. All right. Later. Bye. Bye-bye.